1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also, also to me, sorry. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who are who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. He, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. 
bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. You may be seated. Uh, <clears throat> the, the resurrection is our future. It is out ahead of the church and the whole creation. It's the finish line toward which it's the finish line toward which we all run. And let there be no doubt Jesus Christ was dead. But then he rose from the dead with a body that was better than the one he had been buried in. The body that was buried, that was Paul said, sown into the ground, coming up later in the text. Sown in the ground. It was of the earth. It did die. It was a perishable tent, you may say, but God did not leave him to decay, but brought him back to life in his body, but it was different. It was a different body. It was now imperishable. It could not die. He had been raised in glory, raised in power. Because of Jesus' renewed body, he will never die again. Further, it is in this resurrected body that Jesus ascended to his heavenly Father. The Son of God is now the Son of Man, in heaven. That was something I didn't really understand at first as a Christian either, that Jesus still has a body, a physical body, in heaven. This is important, this resurrection. All history heads in this direction toward the resurrection, and only, I tell you, only the church understands it. Other people, they don't get this. They don't think about this. They're uncertain. Paul, in verses 1 through 11, gives us an historical narrative of Jesus showing himself in his renewed body to his disciples. Even to me, Paul says, Though I came along later, the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is all about the resurrection of the body. It's all about Jesus being the second Adam, becoming the man who shares with us his resurrection life. He shares it now, his resurrection life, while we are still in these perishable bodies. But at the finish line, he, he will change these bodies to be like his. Look, we, we need to be in our physical bodies forever. We need to be in our physical bodies forever. That's what God intended for mankind. We're body people. It's part of what makes us people. He won't allow us, however, to inherit the kingdom 
of a renewed earth in our current flesh and blood. It's not going to happen that way. Can't. We must be changed. We will no longer bear the image of what? Adam. We'll no longer bear the image of Adam, the man of dust. No, the everlasting kingdom requires us to bear the image of Jesus Christ, the man of heaven. So there's one event coming that will transform everything in the galaxy. It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. And he brings with him the resurrection of the dead and of those who are still living. We will all be changed. It's the same time when he returns. It's the same time that death is swallowed up in victory. And consigned, death is consigned to the lake of fire. I believe scripture teaches this to be one, a one-time future event. When he returns from the right hand of the Father to judge all mankind. I believe at that time each will be raised to life in his or her physical body. And all things in heaven and on earth will be renewed. I'm just going to read you a few passages just to kind of get you to lock in here. Because there's been some gymnastics done over the last 150 years or so where people just don't see this anymore this way. John 5, 25 through 29, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. John 6, 38 through 40, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The last day. Paul spoke before Governor Felix a little bit later in Acts chapter 24, 14 through 15. Paul says, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Paul wrote this in his second letter to the Corinthians. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. These texts sound like our creedal confessions, don't they? Right? 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe this future event of Jesus' return will be a one instance occurrence. Sin and death and the wicked will be removed away from all that is made new. Then after that one event, there will be no more tears, pain, hardship, death, and so on. Right now, what? He wipes our tears and salves our wounds, but then the earth will fully operate as God intended at the beginning. Now, whether this one-time event takes a second or a minute or less, whether it takes place in hours, days, or weeks, or if we can even talk about time sufficiently at that point, for those things you can bite your tongue and be silent about it. We will wait and see. However, It is done at that moment. It is done. People in resurrected bodies are not given opportunity to change the things they've left done or undone at that moment. Their last call happened. Their last call happened either when they died upon the earth, in history, or at that moment the trumpet sounds, announcing his return. Time's up. Game's over. That sounds creedal. Where do we get some of this gymnastics? Some of this foolery? This means, I think it is unscriptural to believe in some kind of, some kind of pre- interim second coming, before the second coming, some kind of pre-interim secret rapture escape. Look, to, to be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds, that is describing not some interim secret rapture, That is describing the resurrection of our bodies at the end of time, at the second coming. I'm going to read the text to you. The text Paul uses, where he uses that language, has been contorted by some to fit some cockamamie scheme. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'm going to read it. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who died already, Christians who died. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Nothing really is shaking anybody's cage there, right? For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, 
will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Hard to miss those things, right? Sounds an awful lot like the second coming. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, what do you think of this? Paul mentions how Jesus died and and rose again in verse 14. Resurrected body. Then he says that God will, will bring with Jesus those believers who have already died. How will he? Well, Paul tells us in verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, whoever that may be at that time, I ask you, I ask you, doesn't that sound an awful lot like the resurrection of the body? But you may think this is different. Because he's catching them up with the clouds to to meet the Lord in the air. What's with that? Why would he do that and not let his feet touch down upon the earth first? Would they be floating up there? Doesn't this mean he takes them away to heaven for some time or for some reason? I... I ask, why would you even think that? Why would you even start to think that and put that in to this passage? Paul told us this event describes the coming of the Lord in verse 15. And Paul's point with this text is kind of to reassure Christians that it's okay that their loved ones died The resurrection hasn't occurred. It's coming. And Jesus will bring them too. Make no mistake, Paul is describing the resurrection of our bodies at Jesus' second coming there. This is the one event. It's the one event I've been talking about. And when it comes to the final judgment with the books being opened and the assignment of the saints and the sinners to their eternal houses, the throwing of the devil and Hades and death into the lake of fire. That's then. That comes with Jesus. Everything will be set right and things will be made complete. The race is over. So when does this resurrection take place? That's the question of the hour, isn't it? No one can say, but it hasn't happened yet. Nobody has been given their new physical body yet. Everyone who dies, their physical body returns to the dust, so to speak. We get buried or, or burned or 
dropped into the sea or whatever other way people have shelved the dead apart from the living. Our souls remain alive, but they wait on God to be combined to our bodies again at the second coming of Jesus Christ. I suppose we could wonder about a couple of people, Enoch and Elijah and maybe Moses. What about them? They didn't die, but Moses did, but the other two didn't. What happened to their earthly bodies? We know two of them God took with soul and body intact. Well, the, the body of the third, Moses, we found out that the archangel Michael contended with the devil over that body, fought over it. They, had, they both had an interest. Jude, verse 9. Those three saints, we will leave as question marks with God. However, the rest of mankind has gone the way of Adam. We die. Our souls are taken. Our bodies remain. But they're still our bodies. They're still our bodies. There is a sense that we're wrong when we tell someone after their mom or dad or wife dies, she's not here anymore. There's a sense where that's not accurate. This is still her, her body, or his body. But his soul is with Christ. His body is with Christ, hopefully. But someday, someday Christ will return and we will be changed. I want to continue in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, or I should say I want to read, read a section there because I want you to rethink on this, it's starting in verse 12. And this is important especially for, for people who get this idea of uh, Revelation 20 and the millennium having all the answers, and all, they take all their direction from that one chapter, Revelation 20. This is a precursor, an important, an important precursor if, you, if you're hung up on Revelation 20. It says, beginning in verse 12, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Oh, sorry, this is not the section that deals with Revelation 20. That's coming up in just a moment. Uh, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have no hope in this life, uh, sorry, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's true. This unscientific 
idea that bodies can be raised to life, that's unscientific. That bodies can be raised to life, is, it's a sure obstacle. It's a sure obstacle to faith for a materialist person. Even if the greatest minds of science and medicine would run experiment after experiment upon millions and millions of those who die, hoping to bring one to life again, even for a while, and after analyzing all the results, the same conclusion will surely be drawn, okay? Still dead. Still dead. Many today think the future resurrection of dead people is as foolish as believing God made everything in six 24-hour days, or as numbskull an idea as that he flooded the entire globe and saved one, only one family, or changed the people's languages at the Tower of Babel, or that God became a man and dwelt among us, and so forth. The world thinks these things are foolish, And therefore, if you believe them, you're unscientific and a fool. You're a dolt. Run your experiments. Still dead. There are even some who put on a clergy robe, but they don't believe the scripture of God. UCC Pastor Dwight Welch. UCC Pastor Dwight Welch said this at the beginning of Lent in 2015. I used to say no, I didn't believe in the resurrection, and I still don't believe that the laws of biology can be suspended in our favor, and that a dead body can be physically resuscitated. I don't believe religious faith can be the suspension of our critical faculties, nor a requirement to believe things we know aren't so. He goes on. That is credulity, a form of magic, not an expression of faith. But my answer has changed now. Today I do believe in resurrection. It is a kind of resurrection that happens when there is a transformation of our lives such that our old self dies and a new self, a more authentic and real self, emerges. Wait for it. Pastor Welch, who is gay and married to a same-sex partner, goes on to explain his metaphorical use of the word resurrection. Quote, when I consider my own coming out story, when I hear the coming out stories of others, the process is a kind of resurrection, an affirmation of life, one that struggled to be born against the odds, against the death-dealing ways of our communities and those still in the grips of fear and prejudice. It's not good to think yourself so smart. Christian, I, I warn you, the minute you start thinking you're such an intellectual, trouble is ahead. I'm not telling you not to be smarter 
and not to think harder. But the minute you start patting yourself on the intellectual back and seek the approval of those in the intelligentsia, look out. You're, you're just a few steps from the door, the back door. Welch talks like a fool in God's terms. Those mature in Christ, we see it. Twenty-first century Christian, listen. The scientific method cannot provide explanations for a myriad, a myriad of created things. It's a tool. It's a tool God gives us to figure some things out. Just a tool, like a screwdriver or a wrench. One works well on screws, the other on bolts, but neither is good with nails, and both are horrible for cutting the grass. Paul was sure about the resurrection of our physical bodies. He saw Jesus. He knew he rose. It's true. Paul could point, maybe then, you'd say, to measurable data. He saw the Lord. He knew others who did as well. However, Paul's conviction was surely more a result of faith. Faith in God and in his word. You know, as I do, how easy it is to doubt over the course of time some experience you had, something you saw that your eyes could hardly believe. But then years later, you start to wonder, did I really see that? No, Paul's faith is what assured him of the resurrection. In these verses, Paul makes the case that the whole Christian religion is based on the reality that Jesus Christ was resurrected. All of his preaching, all believing of the gospel, all of forgiveness, these are built upon Jesus Christ's resurrection, and the goal of it all is that we will stand with Jesus on our own, in our own glorified, resurrected, physical bodies. Paul goes so far to say in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, what losers, what losers we are if we live our entire lives for Jesus and his kingdom only to find out it all ends when we die. The body is for worms. We cease to exist then why are we wasting our time? The resurrection is not only our sure hope and finish line, it is also by Jesus' resurrection that God shares with us new life, this resurrection life. He writes about it in Ephesians 2. Uh, Paul does in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, and raised us up, Paul says, 
referring to us, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wonderful. What is the Lord waiting for then? What is he doing? Why hasn't it already happened? What does Paul say? This is the part you should follow along as it pertains eventually to Revelation 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And so on. A proper understanding of verse 25 here is key. Verse 25. For as, uh, sorry, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Paul knows that the rule of Christ is current, current to Paul. It was taking place already. Jesus is in his lofty position and has been since the ascension and all throughout New Testament history and the subsequent history of the world, even now, even today. Jesus rules now and will continue until he has put all enemies under his feet. The, the idea that Jesus Christ is ruling or reigning from the right hand of the Father in heaven, in heaven is everywhere in the New Testament. We don't wait for him to return to earth to rule. He was given all authority in heaven and on earth after his own resurrection, and he told the disciples this at the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And here in verse 27, Paul says, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. And the last one that will be destroyed, the last enemy to be put under Jesus' feet, will be death itself. Verse 26. And isn't the resurrection of the living and the dead a sure proof that death is done? Verses 20 through 23 are also important to understand for the reason I mentioned earlier. They will help you interpret Revelation 20 properly. Where those confusing words are found that speak of the saints sharing in the first resurrection. The first resurrection. What does that mean? Is there two resurrections coming? No. What we find Paul doing in 1 Corinthians 15 through 20, 20 through 23 is showing us how Jesus makes our resurrection possible. He came as the second man. We needed him. The first man was Adam. He, represent, he was representative of all the people. He was our federal head. Adam sinned. What happened? He brought death. We all died. 
So Paul writes in verses 21 and 22, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Mankind is dead in trespasses and sins because of Adam and because of every one of us who came after Adam. We all sin because we are sinners. We are all dead under Adam. And it's only because of the perfect life and work and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that life can come to any of us. Quote, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But Christ, the second Adam, makes alive those who belong to him. He makes us alive already. And Paul writes to encourage Christians that this will be accomplished in their future, each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. This is Old Testament sacrificial offering language. It was the sacrifice of the firstfruits. Paul is saying that our resurrection is sure based upon Jesus' first resurrection. He was raised the first fruits of the general harvest to come. In all who belong to Jesus, we currently come to life, we currently come to life spiritually speaking. We're regenerated. We're born again. We're given His Holy Spirit to work in us. We share in the first resurrection, that is, Christ's resurrection, the bountiful life that he gives to those who believe. That's your first resurrection, his resurrection. We share in it. We become partakers in Christ. We have been spiritually resurrected already, as we've already read some texts. Paul goes so far as to say that we reign with him in the heavenlies. How that is possible This is not grasping at straws. This is not contrived. Listen just for a minute to Paul's theology and doctrine from Colossians. But you're going to find similar language throughout all of his epistles. Colossians chapter 2, 9 through 12. Speaking of God, okay? For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him. Now listen, this is the language he uses. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So we were buried and raised in Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, this is the first resurrection. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I was ready to go. I mean, I'm in page 11 here. I 
apologize, but I have 20 pages to cover yet. <laughs> I had 20 pages. I did, okay, this is a few sermons. Let me just make this point. The first resurrection, it has occurred and is occurring. I mean, Jesus was resurrected. He shares this with us. We are raised when we become believers. Jesus was raised from the dead. He was and is the first fruits of the harvest. And in a very literal, spiritual way, we share in the first resurrection. We do. And Revelations 20, we'll get to that at another time. When you look at Revelations 20, it talks about the first resurrection. People automatically think, oh, we got a couple coming. No. They think it's physical. It's not. However, there is a second literal physical resurrection of the bodies that will take place at the second advent when the Lord returns in glory. This is what Paul has detailed throughout 1 Corinthians 15. So while he reigns right now, we get to share in his first resurrection. We get resurrection life. How should we then live? I think the church... um, cannot approach life the way the rest of the world does. For us, it cannot be, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul gets to that in verse 32. It can't be that way. We've been given more. We know more. We have learned that because of the fall, because of the fall, we have to live, what? With the trowel of dominion in one hand to build, but the sword of the king of kings in the other hand to teach, to demolish, to correct, to exhort. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that you would uh, make us smarter in your things that you'd give us a desire to want to learn what you've said. And we admit there are some difficult things to understand for your people if we don't spend time in your word as we should. I, I just ask that um, we would not be blinded to what you call us to do, to how you have created things to be and what is to take place at your second coming and how we are to live before you right now as ruler of heaven and earth. I pray that we would not be hoodwinked by false teaching, that we would not fall prey to uh, scriptural verse picking, that we would not want an easy life in the sense, Lord, that um, we're unwilling to do the hard things. You're a great God, and we thank you and look forward to your return. Come, Lord Jesus.